Welcome to Churches Planting Churches, a podcast on the theology and practice of church planting. I'm your host, Tony Morita. Marriage is certainly not a prerequisite for being a church planter. After all, Jesus was single, and Paul, the greatest church planter ever, was single. Paul also wholeheartedly commended singleness in 1 Corinthians 7. So both marriage and singleness are honorable. Uh, But for aspiring church planters who are married, having a marriage that is both defined and shaped by the gospel is crucial. It's crucial for our own health, and it's crucial because of what marriage points to holy union between Christ and His church, the very thing we're trying to plant. The Bible begins and ends in a wedding. Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, turning water into wine, which was, I think, a, a foreshadowing of the great wedding to come, seen in Revelation. In that miracle, Jesus gave us a foretaste of a greater day to come, of a greater experience, with a greater feast to celebrate in the midst of a glorious company, the redeemed from every tribe and tongue. In Ephesians 5, Paul calls the husband to love his bride as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Our marriages serve as an illustration of the very gospel we preach. Today I'm excited to have my brother Orion Barrage with me to discuss the church planter and marriage. Orion is one of the elders at the Avenue Church in Independence, Missouri. He also serves as one of the Acts 29 area leaders in the Midwest. He's married to Amy and they have two kids, Riley and Luke. Ryan, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Having me on, talk about marriage. Um, Look forward to it. Yeah, man. Now, I am saying your name correctly. Orion? You are. Some people um, think that's like Irish or something. I have to remind them it's my first name. But yeah, Orion (laughs) is is how to pronounce it. (laughs) Where where are you from originally? Uh, First seven years of my life in a small town outside of Oklahoma City. My mom um, was, um, she worked at a corner deli. My dad was a carpenter. And uh, after seven years, we moved to Kansas City. Um, my dad was um, a carpenter, but he let substance abuse and alcoholism, you know, creep in, and and so we actually fled him uh, to come to Kansas City um, because of just the violence and stuff that we grew up uh, around. So, uh, by God's providence, I think we're here, and uh, this has been my hometown ever since. Yeah. Now, hold your church. Uh, the Avenue's 10 years old. Okay. We just celebrated this this summer, our 10-year anniversary. It was a good time. Yeah. yeah. You've been part of A29 how long? Uh, five years. Okay. I mean, we've been running with A29 for a long time, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and uh, and then finally just say, hey, we got to get this assessment thing going <laughs> and, and jump in with both feet. So. Yeah. yeah. How did you uh, come to faith? How did you get into the ministry? Yeah, so, you know, we, we say growing up barrage, uh, as we did, my brothers and I uh, have, I'm the youngest of four boys. And so uh, we always say that it's like growing up, uh, like a, one part Sons of Anarchy, one part Sopranos, and one part Cosby Show. Uh, and so whatever the mixture of those three things looks like, that was us. Each season was different. Um, but it was a broken home. Like m- my dad was a violent um, alcoholic. and And so when we moved to Kansas City uh, to get away from him, he followed us and quit, um, quit drinking, quit doing drugs. And, and um, you know, before long, he, he returned to it and, and the marriage was over, broken. And, uh, and so for me, man, I just, 
I just kind of followed that same path, you know, and by 15, I was a, a daily drug user and, um, you know, by 18, um, I was selling drugs and just to keep up with my habit and, and, um, just numb and hopeless and really came down to one night sitting on a bridge, not too far from here that overlooks Kansas city. And I would go up there often and sit and mock God. Um, cause I, I thought he was probably there, but didn't think he cared about me at all. And, uh, yeah, I, I mocked him one night and just said, if you're real and if you care about me, I give you three days or I'll kill myself. And um, unfortunately, I did mean it. And two days go by, nothing. And on the third day, a friend said, hey, do you want to go to a church service with me? And so I went to this Wednesday night church service in the small church in like North Independence, just outside of KC. I sat through the whole service. Um I don't remember anything about it. And towards the end, I'm getting ready to walk out just thinking in myself, see, like there's, there's, there's no God. And if he is there, he doesn't care. Um, and somebody just taps me on the shoulder and says, can we pray for you? And uh, I said, sure. What do I, I mean? Like, what do I have to lose? And so I go up and, and they start to pray. And, and the experience was just like, it was like a hot white light. When I closed my eyes, I felt like I was a melting candle and um, and they prayed things that no one could have known and just experienced God's presence for the first time. Uh, I left that night. They gave me a Bible and they sent me home and said, read the book of Romans, which <laughs> is something we do, right? We don't tell converts to read the book of Romans, right? We're going to send them home and read Matthew or Mark, you know, but uh, for some reason, somebody thought that was a good idea. So. I go home, I start reading this, this book, don't understand a word. And uh, when I hit the eighth chapter in the first verse, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My eyes were open. Like I just, I could see my sin. I could, I could see what Jesus did to forgive me of my sins. I could see the necessity of Christ and I loved him for it. Uh, so I, I like to say like, you can have spiritual experiences like I did the night before, but it was in that moment um, you know, where redemption hit me, you know, and God saved me. And, you know, from there on, I, I, I walked away from all the darkness that I was in and I moved in with that pastor and, and began to be groomed, um, the next several years and did everything in the church I could think to do, uh, from sound man to youth pastor to pastor, I uh, worked by vocationally a lot of years as a builder and, uh, and then did some telecom management. And before 10 years ago, God's like, ready for you to plant this church. Hmm. So wow, that's how man. we got here. Wow. Yep. Now we're going to talk about marriage. How did you meet your wife? And how long you guys been married? We've been married 20 years this July. So we met at church and uh, we were basically the only people of our age at church. So we stayed away from each other. Uh, eventually, though, we had like just a lot of things that put us in the same proximity. My One of my best friends, one of her best friends, they were always wanting to be together. So we were around each other a lot. And then we had relationships that ended at the same time and just started hanging out together. And we were like, we, we like to say that we got engaged on our first date, um, which is only partly true. But um, but yeah, it was just like realizing over over a couple of years that this friendship was something different. And, and so... Yeah, we got married and had two amazing kids. It's mm-hmm. awesome, bro. 
Uh, when we think about uh, 1 Timothy 3, uh, Paul says that uh, uh, the overseer must be uh, the husband of one wife, and later, you know, he mentions the phrase of uh, being able to manage his own household well. Um, talk to us a little bit about the significance of, of marriage and pastoring, planting, um, the importance of, of tending to our marriages, um, maybe some, some um, examples in your own life, and even perhaps if you're raising up guys, how, how you guys are emphasizing these things. Yeah. Man, I, I think it's really, really important, and so I'm I'm really thankful to be on this podcast talking about that. Um, I think, you know, for me as a church planner, I as a pastor, like I, I when I first got married, I just I had no model for what a good husband looked like. Um, and so, you know, my wonderful wife just bore with me, you know, as I figured it out and learned on the job and. Um, you know, when I look at those passages that, that are a requirement, a qualification, like they're, I mean, they're there to bring this order, obviously, to our lives that has to be in place for, for you to lead other people. Like, you're just not qualified unless these things are in place. I even think like the context of Ephesians 5, where we see at the very beginning of the passage, Paul saying, be imitators of God and walk in love. And then he contrasts sexual immorality, covetousness, uh, drunkenness, and those types of things, and then shows us, hey, here's what an orderly life looks like in marriage. Like, I think those are... Those are there for a reason. They're very important. And I think even Ephesians 5.18, where, where he talks about being full of the Spirit, like, you know, these qualifications, like, they show us that, like, this is a man who is full of the Spirit, who is ready to lead in the local body. And, um, you know, experientially, like, the times that I have been in the place of the most thriving as a pastor have, for some reason, also been when my marriage was thriving. And, and vice versa. I found the seasons where we struggled to be incredibly hard, um, to not have peace and to not be in unity and and those types of things. They, I mean, for me, they just cloud my mind, mm-hmm. you know, and they affect every part of my ministry and work. And, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes uh, people ask the question, um, you've probably heard this question, like, how do you um, keep this balance? It's a word I, I is very overused in my opinion in the Christian world to the word balance. Uh, but how, how do you how do you um, take care of your family, your marriage um, while doing ministry well? And I know how that why that question is, is asked. Um, but I always find it difficult to answer because uh, me and Kimberly, our, our relationship is such that I do ministry with my wife. I, I don't feel like. I'm like dragging her into the ministry. Um, part of that is perhaps her own gifts and abilities, you know, in the, in the church. We met at youth camp. We, we have not known each other outside of ministry, you know. So our whole life has been about ministry. Um, can you talk about um, just the importance of your bride in your ministry? Maybe just some ways in which um, she encourages, she serves, she helps. Um, she is a partner with you in the gospel. Yeah. Um, you know, early on in ministry, I was around a lot of people who felt like wives shouldn't really be a part 
um, that that's my calling and that's my role as a pastor. She's not a pastor. And, and there was a more of a, I would say a segmented view, a compartmentalized view of what that looks like compared to what we experience as I think church planners. Mm-hmm. When you plan a church, it just knocks all that out of the box, right? You know, it's like all hands on deck. Even my kids have a role, you know? So, um, man, Amy is tremendously gifted. She's an event coordinator by trade. So like, bam, jackpot for church planners. Um, but I think that is a very, I think that is something that you have to look at. Like you have to look at who your wife is, you know, what, what kind of gifts does she have? And, um, you know, as we're looking at just kind of like, what kind of a partner is she going to be? Um, man, early on, Amy's just, she's wise, she's discerning. And uh, I've tried to do my best to lean into those gifts without overdoing it. You know, so I'm not asking her to carry the weight of being an elder, but I am trying to figure out without without hurting her, you know, how can I, um, you know, how can we carry some of this stuff and I can benefit and the church can benefit from her ministry. Um, she disciples women and and just is a, you know, just a strong influence in our women's ministry and teaches there. And uh, so she's a very big part um, of that. She um, like she'll she does children's check in on Sunday mornings and won't be removed from it. I've tried unilaterally just to say you can't do that anymore. And she she just wants to be in front of families mm-hmm. and she wants to serve and love moms. And mm-hmm. and so uh, she's just always been integrated in everything that we're doing and and uh, been a part of it. And, you know, my the key for me is just not to overdo that, you know, and uh, and and we've seen tremendous fruit from it. Mm-hmm. I love to ask this question to pastors. How how do you interact with your bride about your sermon? Do you talk about your sermon ahead of Sunday? Do you do, does she evaluate you after you preach? What's <laughs> what's the interaction, if any, uh, with your preaching? Uh, that answer probably has to it probably has to depend on like how long you've been preaching, right? Like if you're if you're interviewing a guy that's three years in, the, every day they're talking about it, right? Um, early on, uh, it was regular, and it was almost like she needed me to go through the sermon so I wouldn't embarrass her, and I still did sometimes. So um, that was just a very normal thing, and uh, her critiques sometimes crushed me, um, but it was good. It was it was really good uh, to walk through some of that. We rarely talk about sermons beforehand, except for if I'm like mining her for help, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what do you think about this? Uh, which I do because she does have that wisdom and a pulse for women in our church. And, and so, yeah, I, but yeah, nowadays, um, if, if she thought it was exceptional, she's going to tell me and, and she'll usually give me some feedback on the regular, but it's not a big deal. If she says it was terrible. I've uh, been doing it long enough that I know I have not as good sermons and some great ones. So, <laughs> <laughs> When we think about Ephesians 5, uh, obviously an anchor text, when we're thinking about uh, marriage, what, what does um, a gospel-centered marriage uh, look like? What does, you know, that, that model of a husband and wife uh, in Ephesians 5, if you, if you were to just counsel some guys here who maybe just premarital counseling, let's say, <laughs> newly married. How, how do you work out um, Ephesians 5? What are, do you have some, some thoughts about um, here's, some thi- here, here's what it looks like to lay down your life for your bride, you know? 
Mm. You may have answered in the question. Um, you know, I think my idea of a Christian marriage early on was try to be as much like Jesus as you can in all the different ways. And if she does that and I do that, then things will be good, right? They'll be better. And I think a real um, solid view, a rooted view of this passage in Ephesians 5, you know, shows us the importance of marriages and God's redemptive plan. And I think that removes the inclination we might have to minimize um, marriage um, and to not steward it as the gift that it is, um, that it's actually part of God's plan of sanctification and redemption um, is just a wonderful uh, belief. And I think when we know that, um, and we submit to that and we see that God wants to work in our marriage, then we, we see this passage and we see him saying, um, wives, submit to your husbands as, as the church uh, to Christ and, and, and husbands lay your lives down. As, you know, it, it starts out by saying love your wife, right? But then it says, here's the definition of what love looks like, that Christ laid down his life for the church. For me, that revelation was everything, that it wasn't my own idea of love um, or some um, like capturing some moment in our life of being loving. It's literally the process of waking up every day and going, how can I lay down my life for my wife? So every single marriage uh, premarital counseling we do, I say that. I look straight at the man and I just go, your job is to lay down your life for her. Mm-hmm. And we have um, a whole culture around us that, that's telling us to live for now and self and gratification. Mm-hmm. And and we can tend to think of our wives as, you know, this appendage um, uh, partnership or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the gospel says, like, no, like what love looks like for us as husbands is to lay down our lives for our wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the idea that, that really comes to mind for me is the idea of flourishing, mm-hmm. that my call is to lay my life down for Amy, not not just to be some messianic figure, but to see her flourish, mm-hmm. because that's the ultimate view that we see coming out of Ephesians 5, yeah. is the plan of sanctification, the ultimate plan of redemption. And, you know, like you said, the, the it begins with a marriage and it ends with a marriage. Mm-hmm. The wedding supper of the lamb and everything in between is God mm-hmm. making his bride beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, and spotless. And so to some degree, like I think of the idea for husbands, again, as as helping our wives flourish mm-hmm. in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a kind of a, a term that we're not used to, but it's actually throughout Scripture. We see it mm-hmm. in Psalms and Proverbs that those are planted in the house of the Lord flourish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To a couple other words, I think. Um you know, people, uh, guys who are listening to this, these won't be necessarily, you know, new concepts or fresh concepts. But I think in my years of pastoring, two particular concepts that the modern culture at large don't really uh, value like I think um, yeah, the Scripture values them is, first of all, the idea of covenant, and then secondly, the idea of companionship. And my experience in, like— um, you know, loving single guys in particular and single ladies who, you know, who I have friendships with um, as 
as we think about a future spouse, um, this is my experience has been more with dudes, but yeah. when they're thinking about a bride, I am always pushing them toward companionship, friendship, um, and by God's grace, that's how my marriage with Kimberly began was mm-hmm. with friendship, and um, I even now like you know the the romance is is better than it's ever been yeah you know. Um, but it's the companionship, it's the friendship that I just treasure more more than anything. Um, the covenant, you know, binds us together. We're committed to each other for better or for worse. Um, can you talk about perhaps the importance of, of either of those? Oh, uh, man. Thinking yeah. particularly about companionship, though. Yeah, I will. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I mean – you know, I, particularly about companionship is is something that that we have grown in um, since we were married. Um, against all of um, the opportunities of the flesh to to um, to not grow in that, I guess you know. To um, I think the word companionship is closely related to oneness, right? Like the, the oneness, the, the, the being united together as one flesh. Like there's, I think that's the undergirding uh, spiritual reality and companionships, what we feel and experience from that. Um, I think that grows when you're leaning into a gospel marriage, like when you're seeing marriage for what God has created it to be. Um, I think that grows, it grows slowly. It grows over time. It's not necessarily the same thing as like friendship, you know, either. Um, and so there's been seasons in our life where we've been very happy, you know, early on. Mm-hmm. We, we had money, you know, no kids, dual income type thing. And, and we didn't have a lot of problems or issues going on in our life. And we were kind of happy by life circumstances. And then that's tested. It's tested in hard times. Yeah. And, and that's where the realization and the importance of covenant comes in. As you're being tested, you know, you know, are we in a partnership or are we in a covenant? Um, but to me, the fruit that comes from that perseverance and in, in like being planted together in the Lord and walking with the Lord through those seasons, I think that's how companionships developed and grows. And so that's the good thing, like to young to young uh, pastors and planners and and uh, husbands and wives is like, man, that's the fruit of perseverance. And uh, um, and it's there's nothing like it in this world. There's nothing like um, the oneness that you feel um, no matter what's happening in life and how hard things are and, and just kind of knowing that there's somebody there that knows your weaknesses, that knows your strengths, that you don't have to pretend with, that, um, that's totally for you. And uh, I really do think that that's, that's union, mm-hmm. you know, the two mm-hmm. becoming one flesh. Mm-hmm. As, as we think about the modern culture today, kind of the pushback that we get in various areas of talking about marriage, uh, gender, family, et cetera, in your preaching, um, thinking about aspiring planters, pastors, um, what kind of pushback have you received through the years in, in talking about this? Is there a particular area that uh, you've touched on that has uh, got you a bunch of emails or conversations mm-hmm. afterwards? How, how would you relate a question here? Um, coach guys, as they're about to, to preach um, on what is becoming increasingly in many settings, a uh, controversial subject when you're talking about uh, marriage and 
and God's idea for marriage and so on. Um, your own your own experience in preaching on these subjects. Um, I think the first thing you got to think through is just being aware of your context. I think that's really important. We can sometimes get in our mind that we're preaching to a national context, but you're not. You're preaching to a room of people um, that have cultural expectations, baggage, whatever. And so I think be aware. This first thing I would say is being aware of, of how are people going to you know, literally think through it. In fact, we've even talked in our elders meetings about um, the idea of like literally picture your people in your mind, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and think how are they going to think about this? How yeah. to, How's then the average visitor going to think about this? And so be aware. I think that's the number one thing as you begin. And then the second thing I would say may seem like a total contradiction, but I would say just be, be courageous and bold. Um, don't don't change stuff. Don't go out of your way to make it more palatable. There's a there's a line between, um, you know, being benevolent and generous in the way that we're like trying to figure out how to say things the right way, and then and then there's this this other category that you get into where you're 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 caveating every piece of of truth in scripture, you know, mm-hmm. and and we just need to be bold and courageous and mm-hmm. and preach it. And the good thing is is that like it preaches well, mm-hmm. it really does. Mm-hmm. Um, and so be bold and courageous and preach it without fear. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, we want to be pastoral too. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest problem that I've had is not in people who have a cultural or political type problem with what I'm saying. It's in not being careful enough. It's in not being careful enough with people who have actually experienced brokenness. Yeah. Yeah. Because of their, yeah. whether they're gender confusion or broken marriages, or it's those people that I have um, done the most disservice to, and that have, it has made my heart hurt the most because I haven't tended to them, yeah. and I wanted to be, you know, a prophet without being a pastor. Yeah. So that's a, if I was going to say anything, do that. That's just a great yeah. rule of thumb in general about preaching. I think is it's easy to throw out, uh, you know snide remarks about issues like um, discouragement or depression or anger and not know the brokenness that people are have dealt with in that and not come across very pastoral and caring. And so that, that's that been my experience. Obviously, I've gotten the pushback. We're in a pretty liberal uh, college town. You know, we have a diverse opinions on these things. So, yeah, there's the occasional emails and comments afterwards, but it's more the, the, the real challenge is being, being gentle, being gracious, knowing that you're looking in the faces of people who have failed marriages. You're looking at, the, you're looking at uh, single people who want to be married, you know, um, long to be married, and uh, you love them. You, yeah. you want them to, to flourish, as you said. Um, so I, I think that's just a good comment in general. Um, speaking of preaching on marriage, I want to transition to the last question about resources that you would recommend on, on the subject of marriage. Um, Keller, in his book, uh, um, The Meaning of Marriage, it basically uh, wrote the book out of, I think, a series of sermons that he preached on uh, on marriage. And if I'm not mistaken, in the, uh, in the introduction, he mentions that um, more he got more um, – positive feedback from that sermon series than any other series. And the the interesting note about that is he's speaking to a large, large number of single people who are apparently really taken with the subject of marriage in, in New York City. 
Um, and I think sometimes we have a, a, an assumption, perhaps, that, you know, we do marriage conferences for people who are married. You know, it's all the married couples go out and have their little conferences. But I just found that a very interesting anecdote about the interests that singles have when it comes to marriage, that they're really glued in. And so perhaps there's some guys out there listening that um, may have a number of singles in their church and may not think this is necessarily the, the thing that they need to be teaching on. Um, but I found a very similar thing in a, in a church with a lot of college students, a lot of singles, a lot of millennials um, who haven't, uh, many of them have not been brought up in the church, have not been brought up in, in a biblical worldview even. They're new to the faith. And the the idea of, of a biblical marriage is, is really captivating to them. Yeah. So we pointed them to, to Keller's book. Obviously, we were trying to walk them through the scriptures. Other resources, things you walk guys through, uh, gals through in, in uh, premarital or resources you'd recommend to our listeners? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think Keller's. Keller's work there, the sermons and that book, um, Meaning of Marriage, are probably, in my opinion, probably the best thing I've ever read um, for a lot of reasons. So I would I would commend that most of all. Uh, anything that Paul Tripp does on marriage, uh, you're good with. He has a book um, on marriage. He, he, he does seminars, um, all kinds of stuff. And I would say that he has been uh, really instrumental even with Amy and I's marriage and just blessed by his ministry. So I'd point to those two things. I mean, obviously for pastors and stuff, I think we've got like Porter Brook, you know, modules that you could take and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I know a lot of a lot of people in our church are big about love and respect and, and that book. And um, but yeah, I would commend most of all, if you're going to read any book and you've not read Keller's book, read that and then and then jump over to Tripp's book and, and read that. And, um, you know, steward the gift of God and see it as a gift. And, um, you know, one of the things Amy and I do is we, you know, when we have nothing else to read about marriage, we're just, we want to go away and do our marriage thing. It's either a retreat or we're just going away. And that whole weekend is, is going to be focused on setting goals and, you know, self, you know, realization about where we're at and where we want to be. And, you know, just, just setting aside the time to grow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Kimberly and I have calendar dates regularly. It'll, we'll go out to dinner and we take our calendars and we and we have to do that I think like every month yeah to, to just make sure we're planned out and communicating well and um, man thanks so much for uh, for taking some time to answer some questions about a very important subject if the listeners wanted to uh, keep up with you on uh, Twitter social media listen to your sermons uh, can you direct them yeah um, you can you can check out our church website at walktheavenue.com. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter. It's just Orion Barrage. So pretty easy. Thanks so much, brother, for being on the podcast. Yeah, it's good. Thanks, man. Appreciate it.